Have you ever been so excited that you couldn't sleep? <laughs> so excited that you were beside yourself or you couldn't contain yourself? Or maybe it was um, just excitement or maybe it was fear of unknown or you don't know what's going to happen, um, you're just too afraid, feeling of terror um, or freedom or liberation, whatever that may be, we all have felt something like that. Um, and I want to talk about the Passover lamb today, my sermon title, and I'll talk about the Israelites as they exited out the land of Egypt and what it meant for them. Uh, so <clears throat> for me, the excitement was when I, when I proposed to a girl, now I call my wife, I couldn't, I couldn't contain myself. I was so nervous, so excited. And the night before I got married, I, I just couldn't sleep. Maybe I got like two hours of sleep that night. Um, but we all have that moment. And I'm sure for Israelites, that night must have been that. So we'll talk about that today. Um, for the Israelites... Um, they were in slavery the whole time. You were born into slavery. All, like when you wake up in the morning, you were told what to do. You were asked. If not, you'll be beaten. You'll be yelled at. That's all they know. There was no, you can't make your plans. You can't have family vacations together. You can't make trips together because all you have is just work, work, work. Seven days a week, all the time. That's all you have. If not, you're beaten or killed. So that's what they have, and their pain and their suffering was so unspeakably high, they prayed to God, they complained to God. For 400 years, that's what they did. And God sends Moses to Israelites, and they were excited. Yes, something's happening. Something, now we can, we can be free. And guess what? Pharaoh is not, not easygoing, and their workload is now more. It's heavier now. And they now complain, like, what is going on? But as they see God's hand working miracle after miracle, one after another, and they say, you know what? Maybe something's happening. Maybe I've seen, like, some crazy things that I've never seen in my life. Things are happening. What's going on? And it's that very last night. Very last night. What is the last plague that happened? Death of the firstborn. That, that night, I'm talking about that in uh, Exodus 11, verse 5, death of the firstborn son. One way to escape, one way to escape was, was what? Was to follow the command, follow the order exactly, and kill a lamb and apply blood on your doorpost. And one more, stay inside of the house. That was the order, that was the order. Now, think about that. All the Israelites, all the Israelites, think about that. Would you be scared or would you be excited? Do you think any of the Israelites slept that night? It happened at midnight. The Bible said it happened at midnight. But Israelites knew which day. But did the Egyptians know which day? No. According to Estee Bible Commentary, Moses went into Pharaoh and gave, them, gave him the warning. Okay, so this is the final warning. All of your firstborn sons will die. But God didn't tell them which day or when. 
And do you think Pharaoh was scared? He might have been, but he's the one who rejected to, to resist all, all these things. But all the other people that heard the warning in the palace, I'm sure they were all scared. All of them were scared. Because up to this time, nine times, every single thing that Moses said will happen, happened exactly. Exactly. Right. So when Moses came and said, you know what? All the firstborn sons in your house will die. And they were terrified. That night, I'm sure they were all scared. Their knees shaking. They were terrified. They couldn't sleep. But nothing happened. Like, oh, I don't know what happened. The next day, nothing happened. Bible commentary said it took several days before it actually happened. So by like day three, day four, like, oh, nothing's happening. We're fine. So they weren't expecting it, except that God told the Israelites, this is the night. Okay? Go ahead and prepare a lamb and kill it and apply blood on your doorpost. So that night, when that happened, all the Israelites knew this is the night. Egyptians might not have known. And while Israelites were not sleeping because of maybe you were doing the last-minute packing, like, like many of us do, like I do. <laughs> oh, I forgot to pack something. <laughs> so they're packing. Or just scared. What if because they know there will be death in every single home of the Egyptian that night? And what if, what if something happens to me? You know? Suddenly, you hear screaming, mourning, and a loud wailing from one house, and then the next house, and then the third house. Before you know it, the whole village is all crying, and then the whole city, including the palace. And then that soon after, the whole nation of Egypt is all crying, screaming. Can you imagine? There was death in every single home of the Egyptian family. Can you imagine that? If you think about it, in my house, that would be two, me and JJ. Two. Think about your own home. How many people will, will have died? At least one, maybe two. If you have a bigger family, um, let's say if you live with your grandparents or your uncle or your aunt or someone, then somebody dies. And you know that someone, like if your grandfather or your, your uncle, someone dies that night. If not you, somebody dies. So that would have been scary night. A scary night. Why would God do that? But you know what? Not only that, it was the animals that died too. If you read the Bible, it's not just the firstborn sons. It was the animals as well that died. It says, your cattle your sheep, your camels, the firstborns will all die, and they all died that night. Okay, so I was thinking about it. So Egypt is a river Nile. There are lots of fish and lots of crocodiles and all the wild animals there, right? So I'm thinking, okay, cows, they give birth to maybe one, one cow, one calf. Or maybe some animals too, like dogs, maybe five or seven or so. So if you have cats or dogs, they all died. I'm thinking about fish. 
fish who lay eggs to hundreds and thousands of different fish. So does that count as the very first fish that hatches out of the egg? It's considered the firstborn? Or is it the whole batch of hundreds of thousands, all of them die at the same time? I don't know. I don't know how God worked that out. But if you went to River Nile, there are hundreds of thousands of whole bunch of fish floating up in, up in the water. Crocodiles flipped upside down. They're all dead. Wild animals, they're all dead. Why would God kill animals as well? I mean, firstborn sons, that's gruesome enough, but why would God do such a thing, killing everybody and killing all the animals? Was it necessary? Because those animals did not hold any value to, may not have held any values. Like, okay, so cattle, cows, I mean, oh, yeah, fine. But wild animals, why? It says, any of those any of those animals didn't really have any kind of value to the Egyptians, but dying of all those animals simultaneously would have a significant impact on the Egyptians and Israelites, how God is working. If you think about that, the sacrifice of the animals were the result of what? Animals didn't do anything bad. They didn't sin. It wasn't their fault. It was the fault of Pharaoh and the Egyptians who didn't obey God. So if you think about it, animals suffer because of us human beings. That's what happened. On the other side, God's people, now they're free. Now they can finally go home and be freed. And that excitement, that, that thinking that, 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 that they had. And verse 4 of uh, Exodus chapter 12 um, says this. Um, let me read uh, Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. It says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine if the amount of lamb needed is accordance with that of each person will eat. So here the instruction is given that you should take one lamb either a goat or a lamb, and then keep it for your family and kill it that night. Um, according to the Bible commentary, one lamb and one family household is about 10 people. So if you had about 10 people, one lamb is enough. If you have less than 10, then you can share with a neighbor that, neighbor that has more need. Uh, and so, so that was the number. Um, but the idea is that you need to you need to get together and get the whole assembly in verse 6. Ye shall, keep, ye shall keep the lamb until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in that evening or twilight. So, the lamb must be killed on the night that God has appointed, the 14th day of the month, at evening or the twilight. What does that mean? evening. So Jewish people have this system of uh, they 
well, God gave them the system of Levitical system, like a sacrificial system. So they have morning and evening sacrifice. What time is that? So evening sacrifice, according to this, um, is, is starting from 3 p.m. 3 p.m. So for them, morning is when the day breaks and, and when the mor- well, morning worship starts at that time. And then noon, they have another prayer time, noon. And then at 3 o'clock, that's when the day evening begins. So day is, is, is going into evening, 3 p.m. That's when they're supposed to kill the animal. Between 3 to 5 p.m., that is the time they're supposed to kill the animal and prepare for the, the Passover meal. Now, um, if it is past 5 o'clock, then it is after sunset. If, the, if it is after sunset, according to the Jewish calendar, is that the same day? No, it's the following day. Because their time is from sunset to sunset, remember? So the lamb had to be killed before the sun goes down that day. So it's 3 to 5 p.m. Now, when did Jesus die on the cross? At what time? Around 3 o'clock. So Mark 15, 25, Jesus was crucified at third hour. In, in a Jewish time, if they say the what time, you need to add six more hours to have it our time. So at third hour, which means if you add six more hours, that's 9 a.m. So Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. that Friday morning. And then there was Mark 15, 33 through 38 says, there was darkness from sixth to ninth hour, which is noon to 3 p.m. And if you read on, and verse 37 of the same chapter, or Matthew 27 to 50, it says, Jesus... Uh, said his last word and breathed his last breath soon after 3 p.m. So it was around 3 o'clock that he died. So it matches exactly how the Passover lamb was killed. That's how it was matched. And if you think about it, was there a, a sanctuary system? Was there a temple in Egypt? There was no temple in Egypt. Was there a priest then in Egypt? The Bible talks about elders, Moses gathering all the elders to talk, but there were no priests. So how is it that they killed a sacrificial animal without a temple, without a priest? And if you read on, at what place was the lamb killed? Was that a temple, like one lamb for the whole nation of Israel? No. It said each household, each household. If you read on, it says, um, okay, verse 3, just at the, the verse that we just read. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. Who? Each man is to take a lamb for his family. So this means the man of the house is to take the lamb and kill the lamb for his family. So the man of the house, the father of the house, is acting as what? The priest. And each home is becoming what? A temple, a sanctuary. That's what it's becoming. So that's exactly what happened. 
there was no priest, and the priest, the Levitical system was given after they went into the, the wilderness. So there was no sacrificial system, there was no priest. Each man of the house, each father was supposed to be the priest, gathering people, making sure that your family is safe. If the father forgot about getting a lamb, preparing a lamb, or killing a lamb, what is the consequence? Death of your firstborn son. If you are the firstborn, you would die too. That's how significant it was. That's how important it was. The role of all the fathers. How many of you are fathers here? How many of you are watching? How many of you are fathers? That's your role. That's what you need to do. Gather your family and prepare them for the salvation. As this plague passes by, as this death passes by, you have to provide a sanctuary for your family so they can be safe inside. Fathers, are you playing that role? I pray that we would play that role so that our family can be safe. Friends, it's been, now this is the fifth week that we haven't had church service. We've been live streaming for five weeks now. Is this, how do you feel that you're not coming to church and you're joining live stream? Is this uncomfortable or are you getting comfortable? Oh, I don't have to get up early in the morning. I don't have to fight the traffic. Well, there is usually less traffic, but I don't have to drive. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to yell at the kids to get ready and go to church. I don't have to do that. I can just sit at my home on my couch or in my bed, in my pajamas, and I can watch everyone online. Is this okay? Comfortable? <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up um, in a family where we had worship every single week. If I think about it, I can only think about a couple of times in my whole life that I didn't go to church. I, I don't even think that I got sick and I skipped church. Maybe if there was one time, but I can't think of any time. The only time was that maybe we were traveling. We didn't know where the church was around, and we just wanted to spend time with family in the nature. Maybe like once or twice in my whole life. The rest of the times, I would go to church. If I'm here in the States, California, Washington, or Texas, Canada, Korea, I mean, anywhere we went, any country where we were, we found the church and went to worship. That's how I grew up. If I don't go to church, it just feels weird because my week revolves around church. Sabbath is the center of my, my life. And it just feels weird if I don't go to church. And for many of you that can't come to church, I feel bad for you. Like, you can't even come to church and it just feels weird. For some of us that are helping with the live stream, at least you can come to church and at least you see the church. And, and, and that's how it feels. But for many of us, it just feels weird. You know, the word privilege, coming to church is a privilege. And now it is more, uh, it, it hits home more because 
none of us can really come to church freely. And when we come to church, we can't really have fellowship. It's just for the live streaming purposes. And that's what we have. Coming to church is a privilege. And until we can get together, this is the best we can have. But you know what, friends? Where two and three are gathered in God's name, that is where God is. Remember the story of Jacob when he was fleeing from his brother's wrath and he fell asleep. He was so tired, he fell asleep. And the next morning he got up, he realized the place he was sleeping, even though he was alone in the desert, there was nobody else, but he realized that God's presence was there. He called that place what? Bethel. He erected an altar and said, God, you are with me. Even though I'm here alone, I will worship you and I know that you are with me. So each home that we dedicate is a sanctuary. I know you're watching from your homes and your various places, and you may feel lonely. You are alone, and there's nobody else. Maybe you are watching alone. Maybe you are the only one at home. But wherever you are worshiping God, that is your Bethel. That is your sanctuary. So I pray that you will keep that place sacred and holy. And if you are a father of a household, you're head of the household, please make sure that you gather your family to have worship because that is the house of worship, the prayer of, uh, prayer, house of prayer. And when we can get together, then we'll be able to celebrate the gathering, the blessing, the privilege of God's people as one church. And that reminds me of the time that we can all go home together to worship God in heaven. None of us have really tasted and experienced what, what the heaven is going to be like. And we don't miss it because we have never seen it. But this gives us some kind of picture. When we were together, gathering together, we can fellowship, we can worship together, we can praise God together, we can pray together, we can share and talk about, discuss the word of God, and we can fellowship, eat together. And the brotherly love is there, but now we can't have it. We miss it. Just like that, when we go to heaven, we would have that fellowship that we have never experienced before the blessing of the privilege of gathering together. We don't miss it, but the whole heaven misses it. We, we need to be there. We need to go there. So let us prepare ourselves for that. My time is up, but I'm only halfway through. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'll try to finish up quickly. Uh, verse 10, it says, You must not... You must eat all the food, the lamb and the unleavened bread and the bitter herb. Do not leave anything until the next morning. Why? It says, if there's anything left over, you must burn it. Because Jesus, his body, will not, will not see corruption. Therefore, the symbol of his body, lamb, must not see corruption. You must eat it all. But if you can't eat it all, burn it. You know what we do after the communion, if there's anything left over? We burn it, or we bury it. I think burn it is a, burning it is a better option, but because of the fire hazard, we, burn, we bury it, right? But you know what the better option is? Eat it all. That's what the Bible says. Eat it. Do not leave anything left, anything. So eat it all. If not, burn it or bury it. That's why, because we got that from, from this Bible text. Um, 
and and when you think about this, when you think about the, the sacrifice of the lamb that was slain and the blood that was applied on the doorpost and the threshold, and the family members inside the house praying that God will protect them, God will deliver them, God would keep them safe because they heard someone else screaming the other house, someone else yelling and, and crying from the other house. They all heard it because the whole Egypt was crying. And inside of their house, they gathered, they gathered together, they prayed, God, thank you for saving our lives. Thank you for delivering us because now we can, we can go out of this bondage and we can go home. That's how they were. And in the Bible, there are other pictures that are, are describing the picture of God's salvation, a place, a safe haven that God has provided. What about Noah's ark? Did God provide Noah's ark? Yes, he provided. Through Noah, God provided the ark for the whole, whole generation, for everyone to come and be inside. Moses built the ark for 120 years. He preached the message for 120 years. The people who helped them design helped them, Noah and his family, to, to build the ark, they didn't go in. They were having fun, mocking him, making fun of him, but they didn't go in. All they had to do was to go inside. They could have been saved. All they had to do was believe and to go inside. Did they go in? No. Only eight people went in. The animals who went in got saved. Every single Thing. Every other living thing on earth perished at that time. Noah's Ark. What about Rahab's house and the red rope that was hung in her, or outside her window? Rahab, there was a promise that was given by the, the spies. If you would gather your family and if they are inside your house, we will spare their lives. And Rahab hung the red rope. If she didn't hang the red rope, do you think the house would have been saved? No. It was her action, her faith. And anyone who was inside was saved. Let me ask you a question. So when, when Joshua and the Israelites' army came and, and to save the house, do you think they asked any questions? Hey, you are inside this house. Who are you to, to Rahab? Are you her father, her brother? Her sibling? No questions asked. Can I see your ID? Can you show me your marriage certificate? Your, your, your uh, birth certificate? Give, give me something to prove that you are somehow related to Rahab. No, there was no question asked. The question was, the only thing was that just believe what Rahab says, be inside the house. That's all they asked. Did Rahab have some kind of faith besides that condition? There was nothing else. There was nothing else. Just hang the rope, be inside the house. She didn't understand anything. She lied, as a matter of fact. But that was not asked. All that was asked. There was no qualification needed. Yes, she learned about God later on, but that was not needed. All they had to do to be saved was be inside the house. All we have to do is believe in Jesus and be inside of His sanctuary, and that's what we need. When we have that, we can be saved. What about the cities of refuge? There were six cities of refuge in Israel. And if you run to it, you will be saved. You will be spared. That's all they had to do. No questions asked. Just run and be inside, and you are spared. What about Jesus, our Savior? 
He is our salvation. He is our refuge. He is our ark. He is our rope. He is the blood that was on the doorpost in Egyptian or in Israel homes in Egypt in Goshen. So for us, we need to believe in the Lamb of God that was slain, believe in His blood, and obey exactly how it was said. All we need to do is that. When we do that, we'll be saved. We'll be saved. But you know what? Paul says this in Acts. 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So yes, Jesus died. The Bible has many pictures of how Jesus died for us, and his blood saves our lives. But that Jesus is not dead. He is living. He's alive. As we go through this time of Passover, Passover like the Friday and, and the Sabbath, Passover time, we are, we are reminded of how he has given his life so that we can be saved. But he is not in the tomb. He is risen. And not only that, where is he now? So let's go through this. Exodus twelve thirteen. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you, on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that was the promise that was given. Be inside the house. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. You'll be saved. No questions asked. Just be inside. Believe and you'll be saved. And John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he, may, though he were dead, ye shall, uh, and ye shall he live, and whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Jesus is the resurrection. He has risen. But now, Hebrews seven twenty five. So he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus, our high priest, is in the most holy place interceding on our behalf. So if you are saved, great, but we need to confess our sins and we need to have our sins blotted out at this point, time of of grace, time of probation, before that time ends, the day of atonement, before that day of atonement ends, before Jesus steps out of the most holy place, leaving his office as a high priest, before he does that, we need to confess our sins. We need to, we need to apply the blood in our heart and cleanse our sins and be purified. If we don't do it, if it is too late, then the plague will pass, and it would pass on us. So we need to do that. Friends, do you want to hide in this bundle of life, like 1 Samuel 25, 29 says? Do you want to have the blood of the Lamb of God on your doorpost and door and the threshold? Do you, want, do you wish to go inside the ark to be saved? Do you want to be inside of the house where the window has a red rope hanging, where the salvation is guaranteed? Do you desire to have, be inside? Do you desire to obey the Word of God? Do you want to study the Word of God? Do you want to know what's coming ahead of you? Do you want to be saved in this blood of Jesus? 
And do you want your sins to be forgiven and blotted out before this wrath of God comes upon God's people and this world? That's what we need to do. How many of you want to be saved and have the blood of Jesus cover your sins so that you can be saved? And I pray that we all will have this blood of Jesus on our heart. We will all pray that we will have a change of heart. God will give us this renewed life, and we will have this salvation that God gives us. And when we have that, we have assurance of salvation that we'll go to heaven and we'll worship together. Without this face masks, without this, this quarantine, without this difficulty, without this, this, any of these objections, any of these obstacles, we'll be able to worship together. Until that time, may you be faithful, especially fathers. May you will gather your family hold, your household, and apply that blood. Obey the word of God, and we'll be faithful, and God will save us. Until that time, let us be faithful. Let us pray. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you for the blood that you have shed for us and the salvation that you've given us and the resurrection that you have showed us. Because of that, we have hope, Lord. But Lord, we not only realize the, the, the lamb that was slain or Jesus that has been risen from the tomb, but we remember Jesus who is in the most holy place, who is interceding on our behalf. Help us to confess our sins. Help us to give our sins to you so that we can be cleansed. We can be ready for your soon coming. Bless us, Lord. Bless all the men of the house, father of the house, so that they will gather their families and prepare them for salvation. Please bless our church so that we can all go home together as one church family. Bless us, Lord. Save us, we pray in Jesus' name. Praise team, please come on up.